Welcome to Big Blend Radio, where we celebrate variety and how it adds spice to quality of life. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Today, January 15th, 2024, is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And so that was his quote, and something we could hopefully live by. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was born January 15, 1929. He was assassinated April 4, 1968. He was a Baptist minister, an activist, a political philosopher, but as an activist, he was a prominent leader in the civil rights movement from 1955 until his assassination in 1968. He was all about nonviolence, hence the quote we wanted to recite today. So welcome everybody to today's show. We are honoring Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. today on the show. We have an interview with Debbie Stone, who's a travel writer. Uh, Seven years ago, was it, wait, six, seven years ago? Who knows? Uh, She was in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. It was 2017. And she went on what is now the Birmingham Civil Rights Trail. And so we've got an excerpt of that conversation for you from our vault. And it was the same time when Barack Obama, President Barack Obama, signed into act uh, the Birmingham Civil Rights and National Monument. Of course, all of this ties back to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. Martin Luther King Day, now this was started, uh, first one, it was actually established uh, way back when in 1971. And uh, there were a lot of holidays throughout cities and states. However, the very first federal holiday was first observed in 1986. It took until 2000 for the unity of all 50 states to come on board and say, okay, every third Monday, we are going to celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day as a federal holiday. Do you know the song Happy Birthday by Stevie Wonder That song, he wrote that to celebrate Martin Luther King's uh, birthday, right? But also to be part of the, just this whole movement to get it to actually become a federal holiday on the third Monday of every January. So today, you know, that's our song of the day, right? Uh, So he did that. He worked really hard, performed it, and it is all on his album, Hotter Than July, and that came out in uh, 1980, 1981. It was the fourth single that came out. And uh, check that out. Obviously, that link's in the show notes. As always, everything we talk about today is in the show notes. So Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. oversaw the 1955 Montgomery bus boycotts. Uh, he This, again, was about being nonviolent. It was a civil rights protest when... African-Americans refused to ride city buses in Montgomery due to segregated seating. This was all after Rosa Parks, the late great Rosa Parks, was arrested and jailed for refusing to give up her seat to a white man on a city bus. So our book of the day today is by H.H. Leonard's author of Rosa Parks Beyond the Bus, Life, Lessons, and Leadership. We did an interview with her a couple years ago, and the link is in the show notes to read the book and also hear the podcast. 
Uh, it's actually quite interesting because HH uh, is the founder and chair of the O Street Museum Foundation in Washington, D.C., and the mansion on O Streets, and that's where Mrs. Rosa Parks called her home away from home for the last decade of her life. The book was actually published by R.H. Boyd, and uh, you can get it. It's a, it's a really a collection of memories compiled from the decade that Rosa Parks was a guest in H.H. Leonard's home in D.C. So, going back to Martin Luther King Jr.'s life, he became the first president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And through that, he also led a bunch of different protests, marches, uh, again, all nonviolent. One of them was in Albany, Georgia. That wasn't as successful. But then that led to, again, going to the 1963 protests in Birmingham, Alabama, which you're going to hear about in our interview with Debbie Stone today. In fact, she will talk about even being there to witness the original door from the jail cell where Martin Luther King wrote Letter from Birmingham Jail, urging white religious bystanders to become active in the movement. I can only imagine how she felt. Nancy and I saw his hearse at the museum, at the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame Museum, which is also part of, uh, it's actually a Louisiana State State, uh, Museum as well. And so they had that as a traveling display. And to stand there and be next to the hearse that carried his body is um, something I'll never forget. There's something about going to these sites. You know, there's so many um, historic sites you can visit. Nancy and I travel the country full time, as you know. But, um, you know, there's sites, there's trails, there's places where people marched. And where your footstep is, somebody marched in faith, in belief for something bigger than themselves, faith of positive change. And so hopefully you get to experience those as well. So Birmingham, obviously, is a good place to go too. It's fun. (laughs) So moving on, uh, he was also one of the leaders of the 1963 March on Washington. This is where Martin Luther King Jr. famously delivered his I Have a Dream speech. It was on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, and it helped organize two of the three Selma to Montgomery marches during the 1965 voting rights movement. Now, today, you can actually follow that trail as part of the National Park Service's Selma to Montgomery National Historic Trail. And Nancy and I have been to a few of the sites, and again, it's like, whoa, people marched here, and we were on some of them in winter, and you go, whoa, were they here during the heat, during the cold? And you know, even if they were marching peacefully, that sometimes these marches, they got clubbed. The people marching, nonviolent, again, that was his whole point, Martin Luther King Jr.'s nonviolence. They got clubbed. They got attacked by dogs, something that Debbie talks about in her story as well. So that's one of the things you can do is go there as well, as well as the uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial. That's at the National Mall in Washington, D.C. There are just so many streets. There's Martin Luther King boulevards across the country and even around the world um, that are named in his honor. And, you know, just go to those statues, those places. Whenever someone puts that up, it's obviously for a sign of peace uh, to make positive change and nonviolence. On October 14th, 1964, 
Martin Luther King won the Nobel Peace Prize for combating racial inequality through nonviolent resistance. Later, uh, before he was uh, assassinated in Memphis, he was planning a national occupation of D.C. to be called the Poor People's Campaign. And uh, then, of course, you know, people got sad. There were some riots, unfortunately, um, but he passed then. And uh, that, excuse me, that was in on April 4th, 1968, when he was assassinated in Memphis. He was posthumously awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 1977 and the Congressional Gold Medal in 2003. So before we go to our expert of an interview with Debbie Stone, I do want to leave you with this. Since a lot of our country and, you know, is frozen over with this storm, you may want to, you may not want to be getting out of your car right now and following a trail, depending on where you are. And you could do that any time of the year. In fact, as I, I always say, you know, we have these uh, days of observance um, that just kind of, you know, jog our memory and uh, or jog or jog our memory, but also maybe get us to uh, step deeper into learning about something. So that can be done anytime throughout the year. But if you're frozen in, like most of the country, uh, maybe look up some movies. And I found a list through the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences, yes, the Oscars. Um, they came up with a great list of 10 movies to watch in honor of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and the Civil Rights Movement. So I'll be putting that link in the show notes for you to watch. One of them that I think is really poignant, again, going to what we were talking about with Birmingham, Alabama is called Four Little Girls. And this is in 1997 when it came out. And it really uh, shares the story of on September 15th, 1963, when KKK members bombed the black parishioners at the 16th Street Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Four black girls were killed in the blast. Mae Collins, Carol Denise McNair, Cynthia, Cynthia Wesley, and Carol Rosamond Robertson. This is what really spurred Dr. King to travel to Montgomery, and that became one of those reasons of why he decided to do the, the Montgomery bus boycott routes, uh, not routes, uh, you know, marches, but also a um, really focus on the need, and so he did a lot of protests, and not just Montgomery with the bus, but also went to Birmingham. And again, uh, that leads right into the story uh, with Debbie Stone. Um, the, it's an HBO documentary for little girls, and it was directed by Spike Lee, also earned an Academy Award nomination for Best Documentary. Thank you all for joining us. Stay tuned for Debbie Stone. excited about it too and just having been there it's just and like you said it is a painful it's not an easy thing to 
to uh, deal with, but it is very cathartic in the the aspect that you really feel after you've been through and you've gone through all the different sites, especially through the Institute. Um, you have, a, a, I think, a fuller, a better understanding, especially if, in fact, uh, you did not live through those times. And uh, so it's, it, uh, to me, it's an excellent, just an excellent uh, uh, trip for people to make, um, uh, people of all ages. And uh, I, I, for one, was was uh, very gratified after I had uh, uh, visited this area. It, it really, really is such a special experience. And uh, as I as I started out in my story, I think I mentioned that it all started at Bethel, and Bethel is one of those mm. places that people people don't know very much about. Um, Bethel is Bethel Baptist Church, and it was helmed by this very fiery uh, Reverend Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth, who really. Um, actually was uh, basically, in my mind, the spark that created the flame for this movement. But he was overshadowed. Uh, he's almost like a hidden figure um, in uh, relation to some of the more, uh, I would say, prominent uh, leaders of the day, like like you said, Rever- Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., and also um, Ralph, uh, Reverend Ralph uh, Abernathy as well. But it was it really was Shuttlesworth who really got things going. And, uh, you know, he is someone who I think many Americans, if you mentioned his name, would say who, what, and, and, mm. and I was I was one of those people. And um, after going to Bethel and speaking with historian and educator Dr. Martha Boyer, uh, I really got this, this total understanding of, okay, this is where it began, and this is who really got things going. And it was mm. Reverend Fred, Fred Shuttlesworth. And and this was important that it actually came in through the church movements, right? Because at, at exactly. a, a certain time, um, the NAACP was what was actually declared a foreign corporation that could no longer exist. You put in your article. I'm like, what? Yes. I didn't. I didn't know this yes. part. Wow. Yes. And this was done. Uh, the state of Alabama did this in in retaliation, basically, to uh, Reverend Shuttlesworth's refusal to turn over the names of uh, that in, uh, that organization, the local members, and uh, of the NAACP. So he, in response, then formed the Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights, or the ACMHR, and so that kind of took over. Uh, for the NAACP there in uh, Alabama, and it it really was uh, the the kernel for the for the human rights movement there. And um, I think that um, he he was an extremely courageous and brave man. But he got uh, all the churches, all the Baptist churches there, uh, became really the the staging ground uh, for all of these. Um, Meetings, uh, and they would have these Monday night meetings uh, that that were held throughout the city at these churches. And these were these these um, uh, meetings to uh, get people organized, to let people know what was going on in the community. And what was interesting is the ushers at the churches, at the various different churches, would take up these collections to be used for bail to release all the people that were uh, imprisoned for these ridiculous infractions against the Birmingham segregation codes. And this could be anything and everything from, and when I heard about this, I was, I, I, I was still so, so amazed, even though I've known about many of this, but you know, something called reckless mm. eyeballing <laughs> and talking. Oh man, I'd loud. be in jail. I would yeah. be in jail for that. <laughs> and yeah. And, and, and you know, using, using the wrong, 
using the wrong facilities or the drinking fountains or, or you know, not sitting yeah. in the right area on a streetcar or the restaurant like we know, but the reckless eyeballing or talking too loud. It could be anything, and they would just yeah. throw you in jail for it. And if you could not pay your bail, then you were in this convict leasing program where you had to basically work your sentence off. But they would keep adding things into it. And so really, you know, the cost that you were, you know, that you incurred by being in this program would continue to mount for ridiculous reasons for various pretenses. And so, you know, you would be in prison for year after year after year with really no end in sight. Um, so the, the yeah. ushers would collect this bail money to help people so they wouldn't have to, to uh, get into this convict leasing program. Wow. wow. And, you know, I look now what we have with all these, you know, private prisons and, um, you know, corporate prisons, mm-hmm. and, you know, this whole, we have an issue in this country with Big what's going issue. on. And I, you know, look back at this and I'm going, we need to learn about these because it's it's getting kind of similar in, in, in a lot of ways. And this is why I think it's so important to look at history so that we can right our wrongs. Um, and also to foster an understanding between all of us as, as human beings, you know. Um, you know, when you're talking about the, here's the, the people going to prison, um, and it does sound like slavery to me in, in a way, um, and you make note of that in your article, the one thing that really, you know, touches me is like here, you know, you have these churches, and, and churches um, are supposed to be a protective place. You know, you're not supposed to attack Correct. a church, yet this church got bombed. Yes, three separate times by the uh, white extrem- uh, extremists, and uh, uh, you know it—it's it, it, still standing in this neighborhood. And uh, it, you know, even despite these bombings over the years during that that uh, uh, turbulent time, um, they never missed a Sunday morning worship service, even when you know the church had, you know, was parts of it were destroyed, and they would still meet, and they. You know, they, they were so strong and they had such an enduring spirit. But that Reverend Shuttlesworth, he really, he was this very fiery reverend. And he mm-hmm. just kept that cause going and kept his, uh, his uh, congregants uh, going. And uh, they actually gave him a name of the, the wild man from Birmingham because, you know, <laughs> he, was, he was attacked. He was beaten. He was jailed more than any other civil rights minister. And he was also said to have uh, brought more cases, I think, to the U.S. Supreme Court than any other per- person in the in an individual in the history wow. of that court. Um, so he didn't wow. give up. He just he he just never never gave up. Wow. And he was connected with Martin Luther King Jr., wasn't he? Correct. Correct. And in fact, he mm-hmm. he he and King joined together. You know, he recognized that King. Uh, was able to, you know, King was a very charismatic uh, orator, and he attracted a lot of national media coverage, and so he recognized that, and he asked uh, King to join him on these masses that they would have, these mass marshes, and uh, so they they came together. He, uh, King, and uh, Reverend Ralph Abernathy were kind of the three uh, main uh, leaders in Birmingham at that time. You know, I want to go back to, I mean, it, just even for African-Americans to be able to vote at this point, you know, mm. it's such a big deal. Um, and women weren't allowed, you know, I think, you know, women weren't allowed to vote um, no, as well for, we had, a long for a long time. So, we, you know, this, the country was really um, in, in a different place. And so when we talk about, you know, using our power to vote, it's no joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, what people went no. through to be able to vote mm-hmm. Um, there, it is not a joke. So, you know, those who don't vote, 
you don't really have a say as far as I'm concerned. That's my own political thing. But um, I just go, I, I know what it's like to not have the power to vote. Um, I think we all do until we're of age, but um, just living in different countries and, and you know, it, it exactly. not being able to vote or do something, you realize that, and, and also especially, you know, places where we know people weren't allowed to vote, it's it's such a, it's harsh. You know, you don't have a say in your life. It's, you know, you there's this freedom gone. Um, but one thing that you'd seen at, at the church at Bethel, um, which, you know, people can go and, you know, see all these exhibits, did this jar of beans just I had no idea about this and it just it it's heartbreaking can you tell everybody about that yes um Dr. Boyer had this jar of beans sitting in the church it was a, a jar filled with uh, these beans and I asked her about that and she said this is to show you one of the the methods that was used to to determine if the black person was eligible to vote at the time. So if the individual could guess the exact, you know, the exact number of beans in this container, then yes, he would be or she would be able to, to vote. But I mean, think about the probability of that and, and yeah. nearly impossible. And so it was it was a, hmm. a, a guarantee that the, the blacks would not be able to participate in this process. So it was a way of, you know, a, a way of saying, well, yeah, here, you can vote if you can, you know, do this absurd task. And, uh, you know, uh, the majority, 99.999% of the people couldn't. And even if they could, they would probably find another excuse for them not to be able to participate in the process. So it really was a way of ensuring that the blacks had no say, had no voice, and they were basically smothered and oppressed and, and uh, you know, not allowed wow. to uh, take part in, in any any of that. They did the same kind of thing in South Africa mm-hmm. for the driving test for for blacks, which you know I couldn't have passed their their test. It was thirty nine steps, as I recall, thirty nine steps before you even turned the engine on that you had to go yeah. through the car before they were. And, and as a white person, you just go get your license, but yeah, and, and you didn't have to do those thirty nine steps. But as a black person, you did, and the result was they just drove without licenses. And then if you mm-hmm. got stopped, you just paid the bribe, you know. So it doesn't right. work to oppress people. They will find a way, which usually ends up in violence. Mm-hmm. So the people yeah. at the top who start that regime are always the ones living in fear. Yeah, because you, there, it's impossible to control that many people. It just doesn't yeah. work. And, you yeah. know, and I don't no, know. It doesn't. History's told us this over and over again. War doesn't work. Oppression doesn't work. So I don't know how many times everybody civilization has to go through it to get it. Yeah, yeah I think it's, that's work. why. That's why, and that's why it's so important. I think to look at history. Mm-hmm. You know, to be able to really delve into history to see uh, what those, yeah. what those, what was done then. What were the mistakes then? How you know to be clear. Look, look at history in order to be clear as to the present and as to the future. Mm-hmm. And and I really like that people can go. Where are things happened? You know, there's when you go to a place that has been bombed and to, to feel it, it really, right. you know, it it makes it real. Um, you know, it, it just it when you go to places where war occurred, we've seen mass graves and and mm-hmm. and and things that just make you realize that you know, what is it good for? Nothing. War. <laughs> you know, so it's like, and I'm not laughing. It's just it's a. Um, 
It's a truth, and you really get the seriousness of it. You understand what the word deadly means, um, and you do understand what the word oppressed means when you go to places to see and see things like here's the bean counter, you know, the bean jar. You know, yes. when you see these places, it really makes it real. And uh, I'm just I'm so glad you you went here, and I think it's so timely with this new national monument. I'm thrilled that happened uh, before uh, you know President Barack Obama um, retired as a president, but. Um, let's let's talk about the other church, the 16th Street Baptist Church, which is within this monument in Birmingham. Is this all like downtown Birmingham that we're talking about? Yes, Just yes. To get a and the, you know, okay. Yes, and the and the 16th Street Church and the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute and uh, the Kelly Ingram Park are all uh, located in the same area, right? You know, across the street from each other. So it is kind of this this uh, this uh, particular region that has been set aside. Um, but the 16th Street Baptist Church, I think, is, is probably a little bit more um, known to people versus Bethel um, because of the fact that it is, it was one of those uh, railing points for the movements, and it also was an obvious, obvious target for the Klansmen. So it is connected with, as they say, one of the deadliest um, occurrences of the civil rights era because... Um, I guess this happened right after the court battle for integration in Birmingham schools. Four Klansmen uh, did retaliate, and uh, it was on September 15, 1963, and they bombed the church. And there were four young girls that were in the basement of the church, and they were getting ready uh, for um, Sunday worship. And they were only, I think the oldest was 14, the youngest was 11, and they were killed. They perished in the bombing, and numerous others were uh-huh. injured. And you can go to this church, and you see this video called Angels of Change, which explains the events of that day and takes you through that. And then there are these photos that show you the damage of the blast, the damage to the church, what happened, all the, the, uh, the lack of response uh, from you know the police and, and all the subsequent events that happened. And what is really eerie to me is there's this picture and it showed that all of the stained glass windows in the church were destroyed, all of them, except this one window, um, which had the figure of Jesus Christ on it. And it, what happened was that the bomb knocked the face of Christ out, but the body remained. And there is a saying there that they say that the terrorists tried to take away the vision, the vision of the civil rights movement, but the body remained standing. And it, to me, was very powerful. Mm. This is a very, a very mm. visceral experience, I think, for anybody who, who goes there. You cannot help but not be moved by this. It really was uh, very strong, very powerful for me. Mm. I, it, it gives me goosebumps. It's, um, it's, it's just uh, so odd it's that heavy. stuff like this happens. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's just—it's really hard to wrap your mind and your heart around something that makes no sense. You know, the like the Ku Klux Klan, all dressed in white with their, right? You know, dunce caps on, and and killing people, and then the next day going to church and thinking God loves them. You know, it's just so warped. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's just a, a real form of hate, and it's. Uh, mm-hmm. I think on that that particular day, that particular occurrence and event um, was really. I think it left a real lasting impression around the country and around the world, which mm-hmm. which brought more more sympathy for that 
cause. And when you go to the church, there is a marker there that shows you where the bomb was placed. And then the, there's also a, a monument for the uh, dedication to the girls who perished. And um, I'd like to say their names uh, to give them uh, identity. And that is 80, 80 Addie May Collins, Carol Denise McNair, Carol Robertson, and Cynthia Wesley, who uh, were the four young girls who, who perished. Wow, they were 14, mm. all of them except for Carol was 11. And uh, I know exactly. that you may note that also on the same day, two other black teen boys were also killed, but it was another a separate um, incident from the church bombing. Right, and they were shot down. And uh, they were, I oh. think Johnny Robinson was only 16 and Robert Ware was 13. And uh, they're also acknowledged as well. Um, so in that oh. one day, you know, there were there were six basically six children who perished uh, to violence and lots, lots of other people who were injured. I think it was just a real uh, shock in it to, to a lot of people around the world who were watching on their TVs mm-hmm. about the coverage of this. And, and maybe it, it hit home. It hit to them. It, 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 maybe it, this is what it took. I don't know. But it really mm-hmm. did begin to put the the cause right there center stage um and i don't think people could ignore it uh any any longer it's it's interesting to me i know that we'll talk about the birmingham civil rights institute and then also uh the park um the you know kelly ingram park because it's part of where some of the statues are um and when you say you know it takes it center stage i look at this and i I, you know they use dogs uh attacking uh, people and they did that with the Dakota Access Pipeline. Right. Um, when Same thing. And, and it was actually illegally, and they had these mercenaries go after uh, pregnant women that were bleeding on their bellies. Um, the elders, yeah. they used these dogs. And we did an interview the day after that with uh, a, a spokesperson, Cody Hall, from the Red Warrior Camp. And, you know, when, when you see all these people come together, um, indigenous people, you know, it was like over 150 representations, you know, of different, you know, tribes and places coming together from around the world in unity and peaceful unity. And I, I see, you know, what this has happened here before, and we sometimes bring these same tactics back. That's why I think it's so important these places that we go to them, that we understand. And you mentioned that these dog sculptures, and we will have photos up for everybody on nationalparktraveling.com as well as Spirit of America magazine, these sculptures of these dogs. And I'm sorry, but I love dogs. I don't even think they should be part of this. Um, you know, it, it's these dogs really go and attack at people and bite well, them. they're trained um, But they that. have – am I right that you basically – you have to walk between the dog sculptures so you can feel what it was like to have dogs attack you in a way? Exactly. There are two um, sculptures or two blocks, and you kind of walk uh, between them, um, and they they are lunging. The sculptures are lunging out at you to give you a feeling of uh, what mm. it would be like to to be in that situation and to be attacked and to be you know have a dog jump on you and rip rip at you you know and uh, so it's it to me it was you know that's another very powerful uh, visceral way of showing visitors you know um, you can't you know you can't exactly duplicate the conditions but you can certainly give them a sense of that and I think to me that was you know once again an incredibly powerful demonstration. And then um, at the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute, it seems like you had a number of galleries that you could go through and really get things. Right. You, and you 
he said one of the things there, too, was the original door from the jail cell uh, where Martin Luther King Jr. wrote a letter from Birmingham Jail. I mean, that was a yes. that was a famous letter and um, very noteworthy in history. And this is also part of the Birmingham Na- uh, Civil Rights National Monument. Everybody, it's a new Correct. monument. Sorry, yeah. I can't stop talking about it. You go, girl, you go. I'm sorry, but I, you know, we got to keep our parks and <laughs> we got to keep new ones. So, but that's the thing, you know, we always talk, and no offense to Yosemite and Sequoias and all these grand places like the Grand Tetons, right? They're amazing and everyone should experience that. We need to protect our, our wonderful, you know, natural qualities that we have and, you know, di- biodiversity. Um, but I like these parks. Two thirds of our national park system um, incorporate our history, which is diverse. Uh, so right. this is one of those places that I, I just I, I cherish that these stories are told uh, and not forgotten. But this has got to bring it when you start to see jail doors. I mean that's that's something that gives me the the GBs too, mm. and it's it's a that's cold. It's the only way you can make history really real, mm-hmm. you know, is maybe films do a, a fantastic job of bringing things to light and making them real. But when you're actually like walking through two lunging dogs, sculptures are not, is going to creep you out. Mm-hmm. Especially if you've ever exactly. been, you know, yeah. attacked or bitten by a dog. You know, the thing is to run the other way. Well, you can't because there's one on that side too. It's creepy. And then they have... And, and it gives you a feeling of... It, you know what it tells you? It tells you something about the poor person between the dogs, but it tells you more about the two dog handlers. It tells you exactly where the society was at that time because you're only as strong as your weakest link, and those two handlers at that time would be the weakest link. Hmm. It tells you where we were at that time. And I think, you know, when you're in the Institute, you know, there are these galleries that you know, there are there are white and color drinking fountains. There's a lunch counter mm-hmm. that was used back in the 50s that symbolized the segregation. There mm-hmm. are, you know, galleries that talk to you about the Montgomery bus boycott. There are, you know, about then, you mm-hmm. know, Rosa Parks and her contributions. And there are uh, lots of dramatic presentations about the Freedom Riders and the Freedom Rides and the, the um, uh, you know, news footage from the period. And I think, of course, one of the most, you know, powerful is, that uh, projection and audio of uh, King's uh, I Have a Dream speech. And you see people who are there, and they're just mesmerized, and some people are in tears, and they're just enwrapped uh, listening to him, watching him uh, speak uh, in, uh, when he was, when he was uh, on the march on uh, Washington for jobs and freedom. Mm. And it, it, it just brings it home. I think this is an incredible way to make history come alive, and that's why I think these mm. types of national monuments are so, so very important. You know, I, I want to touch on, too, and you talk about the importance of these monuments. Um, on this, the same day that President Obama um, signed um, that, you know, we're going to have the Birmingham Civil Rights National Monument. Um, he also signed in the Freedom Riders National Monument up the road um, in Anniston, Alabama. So that happened on the same day. So it's really great that they tie the two together um, right. because it is right. all the same right. history together. But um, And it's not far. Anniston, well, nothing's far from me. <laughs> to me, it's just up the road. Um, but Anniston, um, you know, Anniston, it's it's not too far away. And um, so it's that's a whole other national monument that's for a whole other story too but it's all connected mm-hmm. and but so they but they is. do it's have connected they yeah. do have a um display on that right at, at the um institute yes 
Yes, there's all, you know, I think that whole Selma, Montgomery, Birmingham, what, you know, that whole area there, that was the heartbeat of, of the movement. And so many pivotal events happened in those, uh, you know, three, three uh, towns. And uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, if you're in the area and you, you are so inclined, you can go to Selma, you can go to the bridge, you know, the March of the Bridge. You can go to uh, Montgomery, you know, you can see where Reverend King preached. And I mean, you can go to all these very, you can really go to all of these places and really get such a, a, a sense of of what happened and where it happened. And I think when you're there, when you're there in person, it just, it it hits at home versus seeing it on TV versus reading about it or versus even Mm. hearing about it. It's just putting you in the place makes such a difference. I think in Mm. my mind, it does. And, and there's, there's also the Selma to Montgomery trail that people can take. That's also part of the park service in Alabama. Um, It's a national historic trail. And, um, so you can take that and go and look at the different sites um, you know, where things happen. Did you see anything showing, you know, we're, we're looking at the story of what happened to you know, our African-American citizens and, and fellow friends and, you know, family. And um, what about the white side? Did you see any stories of, you know, the white side oh, of yes. people? You know, Nancy's talking about the two dog handlers. Maybe they didn't want to be there, but that was their job. Who knows? I mean, oh come on. Well, I know, I know, I agree with you, but um, I mean, because it does get into other stories on that side, and then you've got the supremacists, obviously. Uh, did you see yes. any stories yes. on the white side? Yes, you do, and and you do hear uh, some things like I think I mentioned that there's a there's this uh, uh, gallery where you know it, uh, both uh, you hear the voices of both. Uh, Blacks uh, and whites, you know, kind of behind closed doors, what they would be saying. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, there, and you hear these people talk and, you know, most of it is, is, you know, what they think, what they feel at the time. And then there's, you know, some very horrific images of, you know, pieces of uh, the Klan's robes and things like that that you can see. And, you know, it just, it's, it's, uh, it really does does it it really bring brings it home and then uh, then you know the i just think all these images uh particularly for example like um the uh restored armored personal vehicle from uh Eugene what they called him Bull Connor um who many people uh, have heard the name because he became this very this face or this symbol of of racism because he was so into continuing white supremacy and he was the one he he actually was the one who put the hoses and set the dogs on the marchers and many at the time that were children um, and also at this park we were, we I know we we just alluded to the the sculptures at Kelly Ingram Park but there's also another sculpture about um the hoses and there's a, a, a person, you know, there's a hose and there's another person who's, you know, lined up against a wall. And so it's another visceral type of experience to see that. But uh, yeah, he was somebody who, who really wanted to perpetuate the white supremacy in that, in that town. That's where we got the phrase bull poop. <laughs> <laughs> So 
I, I want to tell you one. So, um, you know, the four main parts of the new national monument, the Birmingham, Birmingham Civil Rights National Monument, is the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute, which we were talking about, the 16th Street Baptist Church, Kelly Ingram Park, and also the A.G. Gaston Motel, which was um, actually you know, considered a historic monument to black entrepreneurship and was owned by Arthur George Gaston. So you, you could see that there, right, in, the, in that same district. Yeah, the, the hotel's not too far away, and uh, I, I don't believe it's it's something that's open to the public at the moment, um, but it is there, and it is a part of the whole uh, monument. Um, so, yes, it, it is there, and uh, things are not very far apart from each other in, in Birmingham. Thank you for listening to Big Blend Radio. Keep up with our shows at BigBlendRadio.com.